welcome in the big cheese, El Jefe, El Presidente, if you will, Jonathan Becker. How are you doing? AJ, I'm doing great. And thanks for those nicknames. Hope none of them stick. How about that? (laughs) Well, we'll see. We don't know when the season's going to start. So (laughs) with that, I mean, the decision, obviously, not in your hands, but with the NHL, what for you is the best case scenario for the Sharks? I mean, well, I should say at the end, for the NHL at large, at least in your mind, you know, just play to an empty arena but get the games back and going, at least get them on TV sooner than later, or wait for the curve to flatten and get the fans back in the building? Well, look, AJ, you're right. The decision's not in our hands. And in the end, we want to do whatever's the safest options for our players, for the staff, and the fans. And it seems odd to me that it would be okay for players and staff, but not okay for fans. I don't, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, so maybe that's a disclaimer for the whole conversation we're going to have today. The decision is going to come from the NHL and they'll consult with national and local health authorities. But I think the thing for fans to remember is what works in San Jose or in New York City might be different than what works in St. Louis or Denver. Mm -hmm. Maybe the other thing to recognize is, uh, you know, we should all be appreciative of the Santa Clara Health Commissioner, Dr. Sarah Cody. I think she was the first, certainly one of the first, but I think she was the first to make the tough decision about the shelter in place. And I'm not going to be surprised if we we're one of the last to lift the restrictions. I know that's tough and really inconvenient for Sharks fans. And it's frankly a huge financial challenge for our business. But let's focus on what really matters before we get deep into hockey. And that is it seems to be working from a health perspective. As yeah. far as I can tell, we have fewer COVID-related deaths than any other major metro in the U.S., so at least there's some good news in all this. Sorry, I interrupted you, AJ. Uh, no, no, not a problem. Um, I feel exactly the same way. It's like you, as goes California, goes the rest of the U.S., it seems, and this, and it's not the only thing, but <laughs> I know that that is a saying. So, uh, so the best-case scenario is we get back to we're all safe and normalcy, I'd rather not have to choose between the two. I'd rather we all do this together. So there you go. And ultimately, the NHL will decide. Yes. Now, I believe it was NBC Sports late last night put out a bit of information. And they kind of, and obviously this is so fluid, but they put out some information along the lines of perhaps that we don't see anything in the Bay Area until around Thanksgiving. Yet we see MLB talking about playing all their games in May or starting up in May and just having all the teams play in Arizona. So it's such a, you know, it's, it seems like the information changes every day. <laughs> the, the, the time. It does. Yeah, the dates, the time. I mean, it was stay in until April 1st, then, then April 15th, then Cinco de Mayo, then, you know, Memorial Day. Who knows what, when it's going to get back. But when it is finally okay and the green light is up and we can go back to the tank, are there any changes that at this point that will be, or I should say, any processes that you guys plan on putting into place? I mean, the answer is certainly there are going to be some changes. Um, to say today, as you just pointed out, with information seemingly changing on a daily basis, well, certainly on a weekly basis, and say, this is the right answer, that seems a bit speculative, I guess. Um, there's so many unknowns that if I lock down procedures and policies today, almost certainly in a week or two weeks or a month from now, because I do think we're at least a month away from playing hockey and probably more too, they're going to change. What, what I can tell you won't change 
is you you know we have this really strong core philosophy that the safety of guests are is paramount. It's like rule number one. You know that we're pretty maniacal in how we clean SAP Center and the Sharks Ice facilities we have as well. And when we first learned about the virus before actually the shelter in place order came, we increased even the more the stringent things that we have more fo focus on the public facing areas as well. I, I think what's intriguing to me is maybe two things. One is we're all fortunate to live in Silicon Valley where change comes rapidly and we embrace change in Silicon Valley. So it's, although we're seeing the scary side of it right now, it's likely that the reaction to this is going to come as well. For example, I was on a phone call last week with an entrepreneur who's working on an emerging technology. I don't think he would want me to tell you what it is, but that technology can safeguard large venues. It can potentially set up a situation that if even somebody has the symptoms is in the venue and there are 15,000, well, in our case, almost 18,000 people there, it could potentially, potentially protect everyone else. Now, will this technology come to pass or not? Again, I'm not a doctor in epidemiologist. I don't know. This person has some medical background and feels very strongly about it. There might be many of these things that show up in the coming months or certainly in the next six months. That's the pace of change in Silicon Valley. I think the other thing that's going to be interesting and the change that's going to happen is what happens on the human side? How is guest behavior going to change? How, I mean, AJ, you come to lots of games. How, how are you going to think differently about when you show up to any sporting event or the movie theater or any place that you go where there are more than 50-ish people there? I've heard some talk shows and other podcasts and you know, come on, let's face it. We love to be speculative as, as humans. I've heard some people say that no one is ever going to high five again during a sports event. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think about what, how I felt, you know, how I felt during that five minute major last year, a game seven against Vegas. And could I at them in the moment, even if I know what the danger is to me, could I really resist high fiving the people around me? I don't know. It seems unlikely that we'll abolish high-fiving in sports. I, I guess it's possible. It, I mean, all things are possible. But how humans are going to change their behavior in mass and how, therefore, how we as a venue have to adapt to the new social norms, that's the harder part. And I think that, that more than policies and procedures, that's what we're going to have to figure out. Yeah, you can't leave a guy hanging. He puts it up there. You got to, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you, though. Wasn't was... there a Seinfeld episode where – George always left people hanging in their high five. I forget how that went. Oh, yeah, I'm not I... sure. I'll have to go back and look. And it's not like we don't have plenty of time to do that right now. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Because <laughs> well, I, I was at the March 5th game. Okay. Uh, and, yep. and I believe that that was like the f earlier that day is when they first kind of were putting it out where it's, well, you know, thousand people or less. And then obviously that number kept getting smaller and smaller. But I will tell you at that game, it was just one pocket or one hand in the other in the pocket, the other one holding on to the beer, and that was it. And there's a lot of a lot of a lot of head nods. There were <laughs> elbow taps, if you will. Fair enough. Well we did put out guidance before that game, as you remember, is if you're sick or feel bad of any kind, not mm -hmm. just COVID, please don't come, which is probably good guidance for all large gatherings. And if you have underlying issues and stuff like that, that was part of the recommended guidance from Santa Clara County back then, as you probably remember. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but due to this as well, obviously all the events, uh, Sharks, Barracuda, all the events have either been, well, Sharks and Barracuda right now paused. Um, Correct. 
However, uh, I believe certain concerts have either been canceled and or postponed type of a deal. We've been lucky enough to postpone most of them till later in the year. I think August is the earliest one, some even until 2021. Uh, only a few things have been canceled. Cirque, I think, is the probably the largest event that's been canceled so far. But everything else practically has been postponed. So my question in, you know, and <laughs> this is probably just me being selfish as I sit there and look at all these empty roads and I go, you know, this would be a fantastic time to like do some road work. <laughs> and so has this pushed back or pushed up any planned upgrades to the arena now that you know you have kind of an extended time to you, that you have the arena all to yourself and you don't have to, you know, get it gussied up for an event for any reason? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, mostly I, I suppose that we've been pushed back. So let's, let's context here. Um, none of our buildings, so SAP Center plus the three Sharks Ice facilities, are deemed essential under the county orders. So only a very limited number of people are allowed in, and they're only really allowed in for critical operations. Uh, for example, I mean, if there's a leak in a water pipe, and actually there was a couple of weeks ago, we need to be able to go in and fix it. And if we don't have the expertise to fix it ourselves, we need to be able to go to hire an expert to bring them in to fix it. Obviously, we don't want that building, and certainly the city doesn't want to degrade over some period of time when there's literally nobody in there. The, the challenge is that larger projects, uh, anything that's close to construction, which is a lot of the things we typically do early in the summer, those, especially ones that you know we have to rely on third-party part, those are paused. And as you point out, that's usually what we do, usually in the hopefully short off season that we have, which means we've made a deep run during the playoffs mm -hmm. is, and we usually have a lighter event schedule for non-hockey events. That's how we do things. Um, and those projects are, because we put them off, we can't do them when the team's on the road during the regular season. Those projects can often last the whole summer. And the challenge we have right now is even if we're permitted to do some of them, and there are some that we probably could do, we don't know when the regular season's games might pop back up. And we don't want to be in the middle of a project that prohibits fans back into the building. And so until we know what happens to this season, we're not really in off-season mode just yet, which means we can't do the bigger projects. And with a limited number of weeks between when we really get to off-season next year, it probably means the vast majority of those aren't going to happen. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the See, and it's funny you say that because, again, we talked about how the schedule, like things keep changing, things keep evolving, obviously. Uh, you've got different things like trade deadline, all sorts of stuff that gets involved. However, the last time I've heard, the head honchos at the NHL had stated that they don't want to make any changes to the 2021 season, whether that means shortening it as we did, uh, what was that? Was that the 2012, 2013? Uh, yes, 12, 13. Yes, that's yeah, correct. When we only played, I believe, like 48 games. So they don't want to have a truncated, shortened, compacted schedule. But that information came out a couple of weeks ago. Do you know if there's been any change to that point of view? Like maybe they've decided to open up and, well, in order to – we don't want to – lose 70 games worth of progress in this season and not have anything to show for it at the end. Maybe we start the season mid-November instead of the beginning of October or something. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly the league statement you're referring to, but I have been on lots of league calls since then, and including talking to Gary directly. 
Um, and I think they're in the same struggle that I just described about uh, doing maintenance and upgrades to our own arena, which is you can't make a final decision on the 2021 season until you know how the 1920 is finished. Um, but I, I, and I'm for sure I've heard over and over again that protecting the number of games in next season is important to us as a league. So we'll keep it to 82 games if at all possible, and it should be possible. But I do think that compacting the time in which the schedule happens is something that's on the table. Uh, it could happen. I don't know that starting uh, in the first week of October, which is essentially when we were slated to start, is paramount. It could get slid a couple of weeks, maybe even a month. I, I don't suspect it would get slid three months, for example. But uh, just looking at the schedule myself, which we've done a lot and trying to understand our building availability, and of course, we can't really do it in isolation. There are 30 other teams that we have to consider. But just looking at our isolation, even if we started the season a month late, there are enough free days, enough chances to do back-to-back uh, without endangering the players and still be able to finish in June. It might be a week or two later in June than we're used to fi- finishing, but it still can be done. Yeah. Now, the, the later this year goes, then the more you need a gap between the 1920 and the 21 season. So you know, stay tuned. The, the answer may be different a month from now. But from now, I think you can have your cake and eat it too. We can keep 82 games and still fi- finish in June. I, I don't think that's a, a trade-off we have to make right now. Well, and, you know, as successful businessman, what are the plans to get fans back into the arena? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, the, we've said it at nauseum that we're not the biggest fans of local sports media because they tend to ignore the Sharks. But... Um, <laughs> You know, you have to obviously get fans back in. All local sports media people listening to that, that meant he was complaining. That doesn't mean I complained about you. Sorry, AJ, back to you. Just speaking for myself. (laughs) uh, Would be nice to hear talk, but anyway. um, But is it a a concern that some people might have used this prolonged absence to kind of reassess their finances when it comes to attending sports events? I know we talked about... Uh, this on, I think, our last show, uh, that it was just kind of, boy, there's a couple of people that are looking at their their bank account at the end of the month going, man, this is a lot fuller than it usually is this time of year. <laughs> and I think maybe you kind of worry about this is a small percentage of fans that go, you know what, I, I lived a few months without any sports and, uh, you know, I, I dropped 20 pounds and saved $80. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Look, I, I mentioned earlier that I think the most interesting thing for all consumer behavior change, once we can get back to something approximating normal, and are those changes temporary or will they be somehow permanent? But it's not just sports and entertainment. I, I think we could, and I'll come back to this, we could speculate are people willing to go to crowded restaurants when things come back? Are they willing to travel in the same way? Are they going to uh, decide that they don't need brick and mortars and malls and they're okay with online because they've had to do that? I mean, the, look, the, there are a lot of changes in behaviors we can speculate, but I think the, the reality is the one you mentioned, which is people's wallets are going to feel a little stretched for a period of time, particularly those that are not working the hours they're used to working or Hopefully, I mean, I see the unemployment numbers like everybody else. And so they're going to have to make financial decisions about what the priorities are. 
obviously, we all hope that their priorities include coming to our facilities, whether that's skating on Sharks Ice or coming to an event in the SAP Center. But I think it's inevitable that there will be some people that decide they can't justify it anymore. It's lower priority than something else that's more important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's There's a concept in our industry and um, actually happens in retail well called share of wallet. And, you know, the wallet sizes are fixed and we all jockey for share of wallet. That's the reality how that works. And regardless of whether COVID-19 happened or not uh, and when it returns to normal, we've always realized that these are discretionary dollars and that we therefore we have to keep fans attentions and do things both in game and on air and every kind of broadcast, whether it's TV or radio, otherwise to keep our offering the thing that we compete for share a wallet as fresh and dynamic as possible. While the core part of the hockey game, people love the everything around it as well. Well, most people love the everything around it as well. And that's why you've seen us in the last couple of years invest in things like changing the in-game experience, uh, you know, new food. You and I have talked about that lots of time, the new lights in the arena, the Juno lounge about the, on top of the South entrance, um, there are lots of seats are being replaced. There are lots of things that we have done and things I would like to do during this off season. Once we figure out whether it was, because we think that's important, it, it will be even more important. We've got some really cool ideas planned, uh, particularly next year, as you may remember is our 30th anniversary. And we already had some sketched out some great activations that we thought we capture people's attentions. Will they be enough given the reality that we're going to find ourselves? I don't know, but but people, everyone's going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to make a trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, and, and here's where we spent a lot of the energy during the break. Um, we are still working when we're at home. I mean, we're not putting on events in the same way, but we are thinking about what the next generation of, you know, people's relationship with shark sports and entertainment, not just the sharks, but the CUDA, the arena itself, the ice facilities, et cetera. And some fraction of fans may not want be willing to come back to live sports anymore, or they may delay it when others are willing to come back. And so we're creating new ways for you to stay in touch. We launched the 1991 club before this all happened, but you've probably seen us double down on 1991 content as well. I think actually you said to, I think, yeah, I think you actually said to Jamie Baker when you interviewed him not that long ago, you hadn't had a chance to read his interview yet. I'm not putting you on the spot. The point is there's lots of content there and there'll be even more content as time comes on. Mm -hmm. You probably saw we played the last five regular season games in simulation mode and streamed it over Twitch. Um, In case you're not a a Sim fan, you may not know that uh, the simulated Sharks went 5-0, which is pretty cool to end there. So we're undefeated. Obviously, the most exciting game was the 3-2 overtime win against the Coyotes. A fan actually had the game-winning goal in overtime, not one of the professional players, which is cool. Um, although I admit it wasn't bad seeing that 10-2 win over the Kings either. <laughs> will will sim games replace live? No, I don't think so. But it'll augment it. It'll fill into the gaps. It'll capture attention of different people. It provides something during this down. And so we need to do more digital things in addition to the live things. And I, I guess my commitment to anyone who might hear this is uh, we will do some new and creative stuff. We haven't dreamed it all up yet. Because the world is changing, we've got to change too, and that's the commitment. We'll change and enhance. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see who the canary in the coal mine is for some <laughs> of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also assuming then too that 
this impacts the new building that I believe was supposed to, were we supposed to see a shovel into the ground for the new Barracuda Arena this month? Uh, we were going to do a, a groundbreaking this month, uh, late April, early-ish May kind of time frame. Um, we will we'll delay the groundbreaking. The good news is, unless this thing all goes much further than anyone seems to go right now, I think we're still on schedule. We'll still be able to open. We had enough uh, padding, I think, is maybe the technical word in the schedule that we, we still think we'll be open on time. So the building's not at risk. Awesome, because I'm, I'm dying to see what that looks like when it's all completed. Um, have, have you seen some of the drawings and sketches? Oh, it, it, it's yeah. it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I I don't want to start a um, a contest, but I'm I'm pretty convinced that Kuda will have the nicest building in the AHL at that point. Oh, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see this. Um, now we talked about, or I should say, you spoke about uh, you know contact with the league, talking with Gary Bettman. Has there, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is oh, there? It's okay. It's part of your job to put me on the spot. <laughs> so go ahead. But is there a kind of like a point of no return for this season? Like, is there a, a day on the calendar that that if we reach that, and there are no hockey hmm. games scheduled, that you know the nineteen twenty season simply cannot be completed, and we go from postponed to canceled? Point of no return, huh? So do you mean the kind of, Femme Nikita movie that was in the 90s or that classic Kansas song? Well, I'm thinking also uh, Zero Barrier, like an Armageddon. You know, like ah. once it hits, a, you know, gets past that line, then all of a sudden it's it's over. Yeah, so there's not a, a hard line in the sand. Um, but good, but good, I, good I will tell you. Kansas, I like that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know how many of our viewers or listeners, I guess, will uh, remember that Kansas song. Um but what I would say is it's probably further away than you think. It's not a couple of weeks from now. It's more like a couple of months from now. So the hard line in the sand is still, still out there. And ultimately, I guess I should be clear in case anybody has any doubts. Although we said this in the first, when we went back and forth, ultimately that decision is the NHL is not mine. But no, no one has said when we get to X next date, and if we haven't figured out how to open up by then, then we're done for sure. That's, nope. that's not on the table yet. All right. Well, let, I mean, let's kind of finish this off. Let's have a little bit of fun. I mean, we looking oh, back, good. <laughs> looking back nearly one year after Game Seven. Uh, do you remember? I mean, you talked about the high fives and the emotion, but uh, like, what was going on in your mind? Like, just before, you know, there's ten minutes left. You're down three nothing, and then seemingly just a few minutes later. I mean, do you remember w w what you were doing just before the major, and then just everything that happened between that all the way up to Goodrow's goal? Do I remember? Jeez, will I ever forget? Um, <laughs> look, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, talking about Game 7 Vegas, I think unites Sharks fans. It's one of the favorite conversations that I have with fans and with my friends, et cetera. I assume you as well. But yeah, um, so I was sitting in the bowl. I was in bowl seats. Um, and I mean, my first reaction uh not when the major happened, but when Logan's first goal and he and he did the that's one to the bench. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's basically where I was sitting for that particular goal. So I had a really good view of his facial reaction, the energy in the arena for frankly, almost that entire five minutes. But certainly the last four is something I can't say I've ever felt before. I, just for contrast, um, I was in the crowd during that 
ridiculously amazing 5-3 penalty kill versus Edmonton, which was oh was that 06, I think. Yeah, yes. it was Smitty, Hannon, and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you remember not only was it 5-3, but there are, I think two broken sticks. Yeah. And at the very <laughs> end of that, Hannon like gloved it out of the uh defensive zone and then we all just i mean we like we erupted that was pretty darn loud um but somehow the fourth goal to go ahead and go back four three felt louder to me um i don't know maybe it was more of a primal scream than the hannon thing although the hannon thing was maybe the largest loudest i had at that point i felt it this is the part i felt it in my entire body and pretty much everybody i've talked to in that game says it's a moment they'll never forget um, interestingly, when that happened, um, my original temptation was to go find a few other people and, you know, and do a mini celebration, but I don't know, I didn't really feel comfortable. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable even with whatever that was 20, 30 seconds to go. I don't remember. Um, and when, uh, and when they tied it up and then we went overtime, I was glued. I, I normally went overtime. I go down, I go into one of the bombs or one of the tunnels and watch there, just because I'm I'm a I'm a nervous fan. I, I'm a fan first. I always have been. Um, and Goody's game-winning goal. I mean, obviously special. I mean, I, it's one of my favorite images. But um, the reaction from the crowd was different. Certainly for me, there was so much pent-up nervous energy. It, it really felt more like a release than anything else. Maybe maybe even a re, you know feeling of relief. Uh, truth be told, I didn't have a very good view of it. You know, I had a much better view of the five minute major because I was on that side of the bowl. Um, what I did see really well was Eric's sweet setup pass to kind of sweep around him to give to Goody. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't really have a great live view, one of my favorite pictures, I've got a view, uh, one of it here in my home office and we have it in, throughout the basement of the SAP center is from Brandon, our team photographer. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a view of Sorry to say it out loud. Mark Andre Fleury from above and his sort of falling on his head when he can't quite get it. That that's going to be etched into mind that view for a long time. So I don't yeah, know. that overhead shot is. <laughs> I mean, you you can. I I still go that Jamie Baker's you know, goal in '94, Game Seven versus Detroit, still number one for me. But uh, that Goody goal, when it comes to goals in the playoffs, that that just went right to number two for me. You didn't ask Jamie that question, did you, when you interviewed him? Did Goody's goal surpass his? You should have asked him that. Uh, I think, well, I think he, somebody had asked him about um, Donskoy back ah, in, in that's 2016. Right. He has said that the Donskoy's goal, because it happened during the cup run, uh, during the cup series, was, was a bigger goal. I but, you know, disagree. Jamie's goal in game seven in our first year in the SAP, that defined the franchise. So it's not always going to have to be up there in the list. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. So um, how have you been, like, killing time over the last month, you know? I mean, any wine, beer, movie, book recommendations, anything, you know? Wine, beer, <laughs> movie. Okay, yeah. Let, uh, so first of all. Something um, to binge on one of the streaming platforms. Yeah, happy to do that. Um so first of all, um, I've been much busier with work than maybe I originally expected and maybe than some fans think. Um, the first couple of weeks, we were all incredibly busy with scenario planning. Um, what happens if the games get rescheduled in a month? What happens if it's more like two months? Uh, what do we do about all the non-hockey events? We talked about most of those have now been rescheduled for later in the year or early next year. What about the ones we're not going to do? Um, just 
practically we're not a technology company like a lot of the big tech companies here. So we're not an org used to work from home. Uh, we didn't have a lot of the procedures and processes in place. Uh, some of the tools that we use on a daily basis, uh, for those of your listeners that are tech people, they were on-premise and not cloud. And so we had to convert to make it easier for everyone to get access to their systems. I mean, there's just a lot of basic things. You know, I haven't said the word unprecedented yet, so I, I think I have to say it now. You know, we're in unprecedented mode. So we've been pretty busy shifting to take care of employees and part-time staff and figure out how to pay them even though they can't pick up their paycheck because a lot of part-time people don't have direct deposits and things like that. It's, it's We have a really diverse workforce with really diverse needs and figuring one size not fitting all. And figuring that out took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And even personally, you know, not just me, but the entire leadership team trying to stay connected, give people a sense of normalcy. I, you know, I have a daily call with my leadership team. We have a weekly call with employees. We're doing some fun interaction things on our platform, which ours is Microsoft Teams, you know, photos from people's childhood or their favorite player or just just things to keep people engaged when they don't want to do work and stuff like that. <laughs> a little virtual happy hour. Maybe. Yeah, we, we, we do some virtual happy hours as well. So that, that's work stuff. That's That's taken a lot more of that free time than I thought I had. I will tell you, when this first happened, I wrote down like 10 big projects that I thought I'd work on. And it's only recently I've even been able to start this. But that, that doesn't make for fun uh, interviews. So let me give you the personal side stuff. I, um, I, I'm trying to be a little bit structured um, and, and uh, trying to be a little bit normal. What does that mean? Um, I, I avoid is watching daytime TV. I Frankly, I avoid watching serial TV, whether that's... Uh, you know, what your favorite series is. I don't want to watch that until it gets darker at night because it just feels odd to me. And that's not the mode that I'm in. And I'm pretty busy at work. Mm-hmm. Um, when I have some time and the weather's good, I'll go for a long walk. I have used to love uh, a Sunday hike, but uh, the place I normally hike is closed because the trail is too narrow. You can't, you can't uh, social distance or a physical distance. And I don't have a home gym. So my best exercise is to get out and walk at least once a day or twice a day. Well, if it's a great day, maybe even more than twice. Now, I don't want to suggest I don't have bad habits as well. So <laughs> hardly perfect here. I have watched a lot more television than I do normally. Um, but I just want to say I have not watched Tiger King. I, I think I'm the last person on the planet Earth that has not watched Tiger King based on what I see on social media. But I haven't watched it, and I don't plan to watch it. Uh, um, and, and I am right there with you. Haven't oh, watched good. it, and have no desire whatsoever to watch it. When I started seeing Tiger King first trending, I had no idea what it was. So yeah, I don't. I could not care less about that. Well, there you go. Maybe we're the last two people then. <laughs> um, I I did finish season three of Ozark right after it came out. That's a series I've been watching as the, it's been released, and I think it's fantastic. If time permits, I have a question to ask you later on in this about Ozark itself. I'm, I'm just a huge fan of the show. Um, I've also binge-watched all three seasons since we went down of a show called Broadchurch, which is a British series, uh, kind of like a detective series as well. And I literally just last night, I think it was, finished the only season of another British episode called Stranger. I guess I've been watching more British shows lately now that I think about that. Um, they're a little grittier than the ones that we normally see. They're somehow raw. And so I don't know if I can make that a recommendation. They may not be for everybody that's listening to this. 
Um, well, and typically the British shows, uh, their seasons are much smaller than the U.S. They are. Yeah, almost all these have six or eight episodes in a season. We've seen plenty of American shows that have 12 or 16 or more. Yeah. Uh, you know, to to show that I do read as well, it's not just television, I, I'm in the middle of Tom Petty's biography. Um, I'm reading it partially because it's the one concert I never saw that I really wish I had. Um, you know, I'm in the business. You would think I see pretty much any event that I want to see, but I never got to see Tom Petty and... Um, I'm sad that I never got a chance to see him. Uh, if I will say that if uh, somebody listening to this likes biographies on bands and singers, uh, one of my favorites is Scar Tissue by the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Pepper. Um, oh, Anthony. And people don't know him as, yeah, Anthony Kiedis, right? Mm. Uh, fantastic. It, it's freakily fantastic, I guess. <laughs> oh, maybe it's almost like it's a British series. I don't know, but. Um, uh, and actually, uh, I blog a fair bit. For those who don't know, I love to write. Um, and I have a personal blog. Sorry, I guess this is my, uh, uh, I'm, I'm giving, a, I'm pushing my own blog at jonathandirector.com. I wrote five books that the world should read now. To be fair, these are not books I've read yet. These are books that I think I should read during my downtime. I just haven't had time to read them yet. <laughs> Back to have been too busy. Um, because I think they're either good for me because they'll give me a more well-rounded point of view than I normally have, or they're just the kind of book that I've never read in the past. Um, one of them has been recommended by so many different people. I feel like I have to, and I won't give you any hints about it. You can look it up later. It's called Wow, No Thank You by a woman named Samantha Irbe. Hmm. No, no relation well, to the goalie. Uh, as far as I know, she is not like Wall. <laughs> Oh boy! See, I, so go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I I like um, I, I'm a big like biography guy too. It's and and I prefer uh, some heavier rock, if you will. Like uh, I loved Motley Crue's The Dirt book. Uh, the movie I thought was okay, but uh, I loved that book. Um, I really enjoyed um, Slash. Uh, yeah. the, the guitarist from Guns N' Roses had a good one. Yeah um Ozzy's Ozzy Osbourne's biography there's been some uh good ones in there and then uh did Ozzy's come with a pop-up bat when you opened it or no <laughs> no <Okay>. unfortunately not <laughs> okay. uh, and but one uh that I really enjoyed a friend of mine told me about a few years ago uh but uh I don't know if you've heard of Ready Player One yeah of course and they yep. made the book and everything and so and I just got a kick as a as a kid who you know grew up somewhat in a arcade? I got so many of the references to the video games and everything in there. So stuff like that, uh, I got a big kick out of. Um, but you talked about some of the TV shows. Have you heard of a show? And this, it's a little dark, probably on, a little bit on the offensive side. Have you heard of a show called Brockmire? I have heard a show of Brockmire. I see the ads on. I think it's Netflix. Apologize. It might be prime. Um, and where he's uh, asked to become MLB commissioner and he thinks it's a really bad idea, but I've not watched the episodes yet. Yeah. Well, this season I think has been a little meh, but the first two seasons really dark, but really funny. <laughs> Interesting. So is that a recommendation for or against? I oh, can't tell. Uh, it, it, uh, if you're easily offended, don't watch it. But if okay. you, if you can take the joke, uh, you know, you get a kick out of some dark humor every once in a while. Yes. Uh, very good. I enjoyed that one. Um, oh. so, so I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Have you watched Ozark? Uh, no, I have not. It's also pretty dark, uh, although I'm not offensive. 
you, you said you grew up in an arcade. I know you meant that figuratively and not literally. Uh, yes. Um, a game that sometimes uh, I've been pushing people to play is what character in Ozark is most like you. Um, and there is a character in Ozark where it comes out in season three that their personality is influenced because they played so many arcade games. But since you haven't watched it, uh, we, we can't play that game right now. I have to take a look at that. What, uh, what network is that or platform? Uh, Ozark is Netflix, I think. Netflix? Okay. I'll have to take a look into that. What? Uh, oh, the thing that I got a kick out of on Netflix was uh, the Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, yes. I did watch that. Uh, but again, I can tell your taste. For those that are easily offended, uh, I mean, that, that show starts out with, you know, cannibalism i think in episode one so i'm not sure that's for everybody <laughs> yeah no it isn't but uh yeah i get a kick out of some of the dark humor um but uh, and then going back to the british thing my i think my all-time favorite british thing is uh faulty towers oh love it yeah, yeah fantastic yeah and i think there's only like 10 episodes it's like oh is it true is it really only 10 episodes of faulty towers I th um, or maybe it's 12 like there was two seasons it's like six one year six the next year and that was it that you know that was all she wrote something like that and it's like how how is there only 12 episodes of this program it's amazing didn't realize it was that few but there you go yeah um, so, AJ, do I get to ask you a uh, a question? Absolutely. Since I can't ask you what character you are in Ozark, since you haven't watched the series yet, mm -hmm. um, although I know the answer. The answer is you're Justin Bateman, but you'll have to find out what that oh, means Oh, I later. love him as an actor, but okay. <laughs> he, he's the lead male, I guess, in some sense, although one could argue that every show, somebody else is the lead. That's the beauty of the show. Um, mm. So... Um, this is, uh, you have to do this as a blink reaction. You can't go research it. No typing in on your browser to figure it out. Okay. Uh, if you were to pick a song that describes the times we're in quarantine, pandemic, et cetera, based on its title or its theme or whatever it's about, what song, what's the first song that comes out to you? 30 days in the hole. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> That is so consistent with what I would have guessed about you. I don't know if I would have come up that, but okay. Um, I've heard some great answers to that. Uh, the, the song, again, you and I listened to slightly different rock, it sounds like. The song that I first came up when somebody asked me that question was Don't Stand So Close to Me by the Police. Oh, yeah. <laughs> physical distancing right but i've heard some great answers from that before so. uh, th there was somebody who I, I don't know where this video was shot or every or, or unfortunately i don't but this gentleman was I, I don't even know how he fashioned this but it was this he was essentially wearing a hoop that was probably i don't know 10 feet in diameter somehow wearing huh. it and just in you know and it was like waist level and he's just walking down the road and somebody put don't stand so close to me as the underlying song of the video. And it was hysterical. No, I've not seen it. That's pretty funny. I might have to go find that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. I thought it was great. I bet you I can find it and send it to you. But yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us today and give us at least a little bit of insight as to what's going on now that we're what a full week out from you know a full month off from hockey and if memory serves would it have been tonight or last night that the playoffs would have in fact begun last night i think would have been opening round of the playoffs that's right yeah so i guess uh, we're all in this together and uh we are <laughs> hopefully stay, 
stay strong, shelter in place. It's uh, it's hard for all of us. Hands. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's funny uh, and sad all at the same time is it, the, the small things we all do make big impact. And sometimes it's hard to remember that the seemingly small things are the things that make the big difference. But that's what will get us all through this. Yes. And I cannot wait to uh, get back to sports. And Me too. Beyond all this. See, see you at the tank soon, I hope. 